I'm fantasy author Elle Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Friday, September 20th, 2019, and this is episode 33 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is the TV show Southside on Comedy Central. Now, it just had its season finale, so it's available on demand, I think. Um, and I highly recommend it. It's super funny. So it just takes place in the south side of Chicago. And it's about these people who work in this, like, rent-a-center style furniture rental place. Um, but there's also, like, two cops who are main characters and, like, a lawyer. And it is hilarious. And it is very, very black. Um, so I, I'm interested, I would be interested to see, like, if someone, how it, how it hits to someone who's not familiar with black culture. Cause it's not, it doesn't pull any punches, but it's, it's, and it's in its specificity. It is, um, I think that it would still appeal to people, but yeah, very black. And I don't even know what you, to, you can com- compare it to. Like, we were talking about this last night. And I was thinking, well, maybe Parks and Rec kind of, it has a different tone, but, um, I think Parks and Rec was super funny. And there's, it's not really similar, but that's like the only thing I could sort of compare it to. But it really stands on its own, in my opinion. So if you're looking for something super funny to watch, check out uh, Southside. Um, I also read The First Girl Child by Amy Harmon, which is uh, a fantasy novel, and it's sort of set in a second world, kind of a Viking-esque world. And then the, the thing about this book is the description on Amazon, and it's an Amazon publication, so you can only get it there. I think it's uh, whatever there, 47 North is their imprint for sci-fi and fantasy. And the description was misleading. And it kind of, it's like one of those trailers that tells you too much about the movie. So I was reading it and I'm like, well, this is kind of slow because I was expecting the thing in the description to be the main thing in the book. And that doesn't actually happen until later. So I feel like, um, I wouldn't recommend someone read a book without reading the description, but if you read the description to see if you are really interested in this book, take it with a grain of salt. Because if that's exactly what you're expecting, it doesn't happen until later. And the story that she tells you is really good. But I went in with a different expectation. So I was, it was dragging a little for me and I just kept with it because I do like Amy Harmon. She has some other fantasy that I've liked. Um, the Bird and the Sword, I think. Um, and then she's got a lot of contemporary books. And so this one dealt with like family and sacrifice and different kinds of love. And I just really enjoyed it. And I was sobbing all the way through the end. So if you want something emotional and um, just a good fantasy read, I recommend that too. So I have an update on my wrist situation. Uh, quick recap, if you're new, I originally thought I had tendonitis in both wrists and then maybe I sprained the both wrists. And I don't know what the difference between tendonitis and a sprain is, but both wrists messed up since late June. And um, so I've been trying to go back and climb with uh, these new braces that I got. And it was going fine up until it wasn't. And I think it it was my fault because I was being overzealous. I was like, I'm going to go twice a week. And probably once a week would have been better because the, the, the second time, so I went once and then I went twice the next week. And that second time, I wasn't feeling good. And my wrists are still really sore and a lot more painful than they had been. And so even though I wasn't climbing hard climbs, I was still doing V intros and V zeros and a couple of V ones. Um, 
Yeah, going twice a week. And I was spacing it out. So I was like a Monday and a Thursday, trying to get as much time in between climbs as possible. But I just, I really want to climb again. And um, so, yeah, to take a step back from that and focus on the exercises and strengthening my wrists and then um, see how we, how it goes. But I am disappointed. Also, I spent a full day um, on the computer the, the other day, and that didn't help either. And I wasn't wearing any kind of brace. So I feel like I want to strengthen my wrist. So I haven't been wearing the braces other than with climbing. And that was a recommendation from my doctor. But I think if I'm going to spend all day on the computer, um, then I, I probably will need to to be more careful about that. Like I, I do stretch every couple of hours. Um, I do my wrist stretches, but yeah, I just um, really have to coddle them a little bit more, I think, than I have been because I really want them to be better and I want to just get back to normal and I'm not back to normal yet. And it is frustrating to say the least. Moving on. So my writing update. I have been working on planning my revision and I posted about this on Instagram. I'm trying to see if I can cut a few drafts off just because I know the work that I'm going to have to do. And I, I want this draft that I'm going to be working on to be as clean as possible. And so normally for me, um, five and six drafts is a normal number. And I want to see if I can get that down to maybe three. So in effort to try to do that, I'm trying to be very methodical about planning because normally what would happen is after my fast draft, where I just write the first draft as quickly as possible, I would go through and clean that up and using what I've learned, do another version that is actually readable, but um, just holding it all in my head more so <clears throat> and not even read over it really. Like I, I, I would write the fast draft and then immediately go back and revise and read each scene before I revise it, but take it scene by scene. So now what I'm trying to do is to actually read the whole draft, plan it out first, because the old way, after that that second draft, then the third draft would really be tightening it up and putting it all together. So I I would have done some of that in my second draft just based on like remembering the things that I was thinking about. And I, I do take notes in, in Scrivener um, as I write a scene. Like if I write the next scene and I realize what was wrong with the scene I wrote previously, I'll go and write a note like, okay, change this, this, and this. And so I have some of that in my Scrivener file. But really before it was just all about kind of keeping it in my head, cleaning it up as I went along, then in the third draft, it would be more holistic again, like taking a look at this clean version, reading through that, and then putting all the pieces together. Um and another like another layer of that. So what I'm trying to do now is combine what would have been drafts two and three by planning it in detail ahead of time. And I talked about this a little bit last week, but it's going it's going pretty well. So I'm, I'm I created a spreadsheet by hand on my legal sized paper. So I have a lot of columns. Um, what I have for my columns are the C number which is causing me some problems. I'll talk about that in a second. The story event, just a quick sentence about what happens in the scene, the value shift, the polarity, and the turning point. So those are three columns, story grid columns. And um, then the POV, the time, like what day is happening, because I have no idea of the calendar at this point. Like I know 
it's a few weeks, I think that passed or maybe a little bit more, but so try and see what, if I can start locking that down. Duration of the scene, like an hour or two hours, how long does it take? Location and then onstage characters and the offstage characters. And this is straight from the story good book. Um, and so as I'm recording that, I have an index card system. So I'm making a new index card for each scene and then writing on it the important things that have to happen in the scene. Like, why is the scene in the book? What is it doing for me? Is it establishing the backstory? Is it giving me hints, um, foreshadowing for something? Like, I list all that out. And then I also list out what it still needs. So what I've missed from this or the changes that I need to make in my revision. And then when necessary, I will redo the original index card, which had the the um, like the commandments of storytelling, so the desire, the inciting incident, the regressive complications, turning point, crisis, climax, and resolution. Most of those are okay, but if if I know that the scene needs to change, or if I bungled one of those steps and it's not as strong as it could be, because a lot of times that as I'm going through this, I'm seeing ways that I can increase the tension and the conflict and make it even better slash worse. You know, like I pulled some punches. Um, for example, I have a scene where my main character, um, who is the queen, and there's these terrorist attacks going on. So, and I don't think this is a spoiler. It's very general stuff. But um, she's going to ask for emergency emergency powers from the council. And originally I had them giving them to her. But I'm like, well, it'd be better if they denied her the emergency powers, you know. And so I was like, okay, that's a change I'm going to make in the next draft. I'll mark that down. Now, the end point is the same because, you know, she doesn't get everything she asked for. She gets a piece of what she asked for, which was, you know, moves the plot along. But it's more conflict if she doesn't get what she asks for. And so, like, those things I'm working out as I'm going along. And then the, the normal things from a fast draft, like, I had characters that I introduced and then disappear completely after a few scenes and we never hear from them again. Plot lines, objects. Um, I probably... If I did it again, I would add a column for like significant objects because I realize in book three that I'm going to be revising, there's a significant object in the book that I, that disappears. And I don't actually know what happened to it because it was on, my character had it, but then she's been through all these changes and like, does she still have it? Would she have taken them? Would she have taken this object with her as she was doing these things? So, um, tracking significant objects is also important. And there's a bunch that I introduced in the beginning that I know I never thought about again. So the issue I've been having with my scene numbers is that as I've been reading through the printout, I've been numbering the scenes with like the first letter of the character's name and then one. So like Jasmine to scene one, Jasmine to two. But then I realized, oh, well, scene four needs to go before scene two when I revise it. So I've been ordering the note cards so even though so, so it goes J1, J4, J2, J3. <laughs> but then I'm like, what if something happens to the note cards and they get out of order somehow? So should I renumber them? Should I come up with a different number convention? for? So I'm, I was thinking maybe I should do letters <laughs> and mix them with the numbers. This is a mess. And this is where my mind goes. How am I going to, like, what is my scene numbering convention for when I want to make a note of the way they are and also note the way they should be. And I don't trust that my stack of note cards is going to stay in the proper order. And I've been struggling with this since yesterday. This is how my mind works. 
So I'm going to come to some kind of some kind of um, solution. This morning in Mastermind, uh, Keisha told me that I should, in Scrivener, change the order of the scenes. So that's like a backup. So I'm trying not to do, to do this on the computer, though. But I might have to just break down. And as I reorder things, because the order is going to change again, because I'm just doing it by POV. When um, the book is going to be, you know, mixing up the POVs and, and part of that's um, flow and pacing and then also calendar dates. There's a whole lot that goes into the order of the scenes when I have this many POVs. I need it to happen in order. I need one thing to lead into the other because some people are going to give you information, give the reader information that they will then take into someone else's POV so that they know what's happening. So I'm setting up things. And then there's also just the day that it happens on and I'm still working that out. So order is going to come last. So these scenes might change significantly in terms of where they're going to be. And since it's a fast draft, it's a huge mess and things are going to have to be shuffled around. And so um, the Scrivener thing sounds like it will ease my mind about worrying about the order of these physical note cards that, like, what if I'm carrying them and I trip and they scatter all around or the dog trips me, which happens. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like I want there to be a numbering convention that will take into all these things into account. And I'm thinking there's a combination of letters and numbers that I could be using that would indicate where it was, maybe with letters, and where it should be with numbers. And I started doing that, but I'm already confused. (laughs) So not the most important thing. Not procrastination exactly. It's actually like important to me, but maybe it is procrastination. Maybe I should own up to that. I don't know. So systematizing it, um, going through the scenes, reading everything over, and then I'm going to do another synopsis, which I do need to actually turn in a synopsis for this book. Um, it's in my contract, something that I completely forgot about. But um, since when I when I sold the series to St. Martin's, it um, I had book three written, and book four was always just sparkles in my imagination. So, and they, you know, the title, I didn't even give them the title. I I don't know if I, I think I had the title, but I hadn't, I hadn't fit, um, confirmed it. And so my editor a couple of weeks ago was like, oh, what's the title of book four? And what's it about? And I was like, oh yeah, I should tell you that. So I do need to turn in a synopsis. There's a, a payment attached to me turning in the synopsis. And that requires me writing one, which I've never really had to do. Because I sold the series, I didn't query or anything. I didn't go through the normal steps that people do when they write a query letter and a synopsis. And um, I have had to write synopses for to give them so they can, like, for the blurb purposes. Like, I always, I write my own blurbs and I give them to them and then they kind of tweak them. So uh, I did have to do a synopsis for book three and the blurb and send them in and um, I'll see what they do with that. But this is, I feel like this is more like an official synopsis because it's like a proposal almost uh, so that that they know what's going on with book four. That, of course, requires that I know what's going on with book four. But I feel so much better about it. Like going through, getting to the end of the fast draft, which was a struggle because I'm always fighting myself on the same things. And it's like frustrating. Like I, I should know this. I know this. I've done this before. And every time I try to, oh, I'm not going to get to the end. I'm going to start revising before. And every time it's a mistake, why will I never learn? Like, what is, what is that? What is that? I don't know. So 
Jeffy Kennedy on her podcast uh, sort of responded to my podcast and talked about how we're having sort of this asynchronous conversation. And listening to her, I do sometimes want to do more, like, you know, because she does like four, four a week about. And um, and so, because there's things that, that I think about during the week, like, oh, I should talk about this on my podcast. And sometimes I'll note it down and sometimes I'll forget about it. You know, I have a little app on my phone that I use and I just... I, I keep notes of things that I want to talk about in the app, but then if I don't write it down, it's gone from my head. But anyway, she was talking about um, like delight in your writing and referencing um, what I talked about with Lainey Taylor and just that whole idea of just trying to regain that 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 joy and the delight in your writing. Um, and I think she has a really good handle on that, and it's something that I definitely struggle with. Like I love writing. I love actually doing the work, as, as many problems as it gives me. Um, not just when you're in the flow state, because when you're in that flow state, yes, it's it's obvious. It's just pure joy coming through. You're just, I, I write and I don't remember what I've written and I read it and I don't remember writing it. And like, that's one level of just kind of a euphoric high that you get when you're creating something. But um, I love problem solving. And that's one of the reasons why I became a, a web developer, you know, like I code, I problem solve, I, I work in PHP and it's coding is just problem solving, you know, it's just like figuring out, breaking down problems into their constituent parts and creating algorithms for them and figuring out how to solve them. And then also the most efficient way to solve them that's not going to drain resources and memory and uh, make your site slow down in my, in my case. Uh, and I'm not like the best programmer around, definitely not. I got a C in programming in high school and then I minored it in, in college, but I just, I love it. Like I'm definitely not the best program around, but it's something that I enjoyed doing. And so I, I made a career doing something I liked um, and I eventually get it, you know, I eventually figure out some way to solve the problem. So uh, also why I like video editing and why DJing, like anything that all these hobbies that I've had during my life and video editing was sort of a hobby and then I, it was like a pr profession for a small period of time, but filmmaking and editing films and stuff. Like you're putting things together and you're trying to find, you're trying to put this puzzle together in the same way that I do if I'm coding something and in the same way that trying to finish my fantasy series is like putting this puzzle together. So even as I'm struggling, like as I think about the problem and take it apart and try to fix it and find a way to either hack my brain or my systems and my processes or whatever I'm trying to do to dig myself out of these holes that I get into all the time. I do enjoy that. Um, I hope that comes through. I'm having a lot of fun, even as I'm like beating my head against the wall. And it's a weird thing about writing. Oh, and um, so when this podcast comes out, if you're listening to it Monday, the day it comes out tomorrow, Jeffy Kennedy's new book comes out, The Orchid Throne. And I'm super excited about that. I've already pre-ordered it. It'll pop on my Kindle. And hopefully I'll have time to actually read it next week. Um, this week, as you're listening to this, these time shifts are always so funny. So yes, get get her new book. Um, I really enjoy her work. I really love the 12 Kingdoms series, um, fantasy romance. So if you are looking for what is bound to be a great fantasy romance, definitely check that out. Somewhere in my travels online this week, I came across um, a writing blog called The Itch of Writing by an author named Emma Darwin. And lots of great stuff on there. There was a fantastic article because I was thinking about 
I don't know what I was thinking about. I was searching for something and I found this somehow. And this article on psychic distance was really good. And I will link to it in the show notes. And so psychic distance is, um, when you're talking about narrative, I think maybe that's what I was thinking about, narrative drive and perspective, point of view. Um, not just first person, second person, third person, but when you're in that, well, specifically third person for me, because first person, I feel like you can't be that far away um, in terms of your psychic distance when you're in someone's head, literally. But if you have a narrator who's narrating things, how close are they? And the language we use a lot of times is about like doing a wide shot or zooming in. And so she breaks it down into these five levels where you start out far away with your narrator. Um, and these are quotes from her blog post. It was winter of the year 1853. A large man stepped out of a doorway. And then you can zoom in a little bit. And another way to say that would be Henry J. Warburton had never much cared for snowstorms. So that's a little bit closer. Even closer still, Henry hated snowstorms. Closer still. God, how he hated those damn snowstorms. So now you're in his head. You're like, even that's third person. And then the closest um, is snow under your collar, down inside your shoes, freezing and plugging up your miserable soul. And um, there's a time and place even in the same book for all of those. I think you have to, just like a film, you know, when you learn about film grammar, um, a lot of times you start out wide. You start out with an establishing shot, show people where you are, give them the setting, then you zoom in. If you start in, now indie films, a lot of times, you can't afford to start with an establishing shot because you're, you don't have a set and you're in someone's house and you, you, the equipment is there. So there's no way to shoot it. So you're starting out with a close up. And, but it means something different. And so, there's different film grammar for different styles and genres and things like that. And, and the same thing goes for, for writing. Um, and it's really hard to tell an entire story in a close-up. Like, that is a lot of weight. And I was thinking about this. And someone who does this amazingly, Charlotte Stein, a lot of her books, and, and I think they are first person, but you can have first person that maybe, okay, I'm, I'm contradicting myself from what I just said. You can have first person that is less deep POV than other types of first person. Because Charlotte Stein shows us this. Her characters stay at that fifth level. They are deep inside, interior. And it's very rare to have someone be able to do that well, but she does it amazingly well. And if you're looking for um, a Charlotte Stein book, Sheltered is one of my favorite books by her. It's one of my favorite books, period, like of all time. I will read that like once a year. So she does a lot of different stuff. She does a lot of, I think, erotic romance. And so very high heat levels. And so if that's not your, that's not your thing, then maybe don't read her. But um, Sheltered is one of my favorite books ever. And yeah, and there's some other ones that st stay super deep, single POV, most of them, deep inside this character. And they're deliciously odd, bizarre books that I love. And so, um, yeah, this, this whole article is great. And it just kind of goes into why you might want to use these and how you move between them to tell the story. So this whole article was great. Um, and just, her, she has a lot of good stuff on that, on that blog. Um, so if you're looking for, Sherman is at it again with his um, bed preparation. I guess. Wait for him to get comfortable. Are you comfortable? 
He's looking at me with very sad puppy dog eyes because he's very tired. Anyway, I will uh, check out the link to that article. She has another article that um, on 10 things to know about being published, <laughs> which was also very cool uh, because this week there was this article going around from Medium about this woman who had it was something like how to blow three quarters of a million dollars. Um, if I can find it, I'll link to it. There was a lot of discussion going on about this article. Basically, um, this author, this white female author who had gotten these big advances and spent them all and didn't realize, nobody told her that how advances work and <laughs> that she might not always be getting six-figure advances. And so she moved to New York and spent all this money. And then the next one was only $35,000. And the next one was only $25,000. And I didn't have a ton of sympathy for her because I know how to do research and I know how to use Google. And I don't feel like if if I didn't know something that is very easy to research that somebody should, you know, I, I never feel like somebody should have told me, you know, why didn't anyone tell me? Why didn't my editors tell me? Why didn't this person tell me? Well, a lot of us did the research and learned these things. And so that sort of entitlement, uh, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And so this is a good article just about expectations. And also because I got my, I finally got my royalty statement. Apparently they sent it, then it got sent back. I don't know what's with the mail, but I had been like, hmm, seems like I should have gotten a royalty statement by now. And number nine on this list of um, 10 things you should know about being published is your second royalty statement may show a lot of minuses. So this is the second royalty statement since Song of Blood and Stone came out in May of 2018 with St. Martin's. And there were a lot of minuses. And it's always very disappointing. I expected them because I had done research and I knew that that's what happens. Um, so if you are not, <clears throat> if you're not aware, if your book is in print and bookstores buy it, they will order X number of copies. And they will likely not sell all of those copies. So a year or later or whenever, they send them back. And so your first royalty statement shows all of these books that have been sold. And those are the books that were sold to the bookstores. And your second one shows when – actually, this is – no, yeah, this is the second one. The second one shows all the ones that were sent back to the bookstores. And um, it can be a sad day. Sniff, sniff. <laughs> but the third one – uh, so the second royalty statement did not include the paperback release. So um, I, I think anecdotally that the paperback release has gone okay. Uh, but I will really find out when I get the next royalty statement. Anecdotally, because my brother went to a bookstore in somewhere in the Valley in, in near Los Angeles. And he was like, he actually asked the guy to look up how many books they'd sold of mine. And he's like, oh yeah, we sold 15 books this week. And I was like, Whoa. So from that one piece of evidence, that one store in the valley, in Cal in what valley is that? I don't even know. San Fernando Valley. Sold 15 books. And this was like the first week that it was out. Um, I feel like maybe my next royalty statement won't have so many minuses on it. When I was in Nashville, I did go to the Barnes & Noble. I had to get out of my hotel room and do some work. And um, I went to see if it was on the shelves. Like I, every, anywhere I am, I look to see if my book is on the shelves. And it was in Franklin. So it wasn't actually Nashville. I was in Franklin, Tennessee. And I hadn't seen a whole lot of black people in that town in the, the small amount of time that I was there, which doesn't mean anything because my book was not on the shelf in Bowie, Maryland, which is a majority black um, city. My friend Cerise got them to order it. But um, 
So it's not, I don't know how bookstores decide to order. I would think that, you know, a fantasy book with a black person on the cover would be bought by a store in a black neighborhood, but apparently not. Anyway, it's always nice to see it on the shelf. I took a picture. I didn't post it or anything because I thought that would be weird. But there's no guarantee that your book is going to be on shelves. I, I go to bookstores and it's not there. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> sniff, sniff. Um, but when you do see it, and it was face out. Um, so that's also encouraging that, you know, you're seeing um, support from the publisher because the publisher had to pay for it to be face out if you're not aware of how co-ops work in the bookstores. So yeah, that was nice. And every little bit of positive reinforcement helps as I'm working on book four, which I still feel like I'm working on in a vacuum because you're so far ahead. You know, um, book two comes out in a week and a half. And when I finished it, I turned it in years ago, I guess at this point, I don't, I don't remember. I have to look it up when I turned it in. But if you are curious about some things you should know about being published, and this isn't, this is from, she wrote this years ago, like, oh no, this isn't pretty recent. Some of the other articles I was looking at on her site are like nine and 10 years old, but they're still great. Um, so I'm going to be checking out her blog a little bit more for good stuff. I'm off to New York this weekend. Um, when you listen to this, I will have appeared at the Brooklyn Book Festival. Still in the future is New York Comic Con, where I'll be signing, and all the other events that I'm doing that I'm not going to think about right now because they will make me very tired, but building up my energy for those. And for the book release, like the launch is in two weeks. Um, well, a week. Yeah, October 1st. I feel in no way prepared. I don't know what it would take to feel prepared for a book launch. And there's not much I have to do. Like the things I'm still doing the read along in my Facebook group and I need to post a few more posts on social media or schedule some things to go up. And that is basically going to be it at this point. Um, aside from the events that I'm actually traveling to one day, I think I'll feel like I've done enough for a launch. I don't know when that day will come, but I, I hold out hope that it will one day appear. And it, it, I mean, sometimes it's just really hard because I'm working on this book. I I have I do have some blog posts, right? There's a blog tour that's going to happen for Whispers, um, Whispers of Shadow and Flame, which is book two. And uh, I have a list on a sticky note. This is where we are with my planning. I have not been planning effectively. I've been making lists on sticky notes because the whole weekly planning thing has... I'm taking a break, I guess, from it. Anyway... I have a list of uh, to-do items on the sticky note that hopefully I will get through them all today. That is my goal. There's, there's in a newsletter. I've sent a newsletter. I was supposed to send this newsletter two weeks ago. I, there's no excuse for why I did not send this newsletter. It's just that it'll take me at least an hour to write this newsletter. They don't seem like they take an hour to write, but they do. And then an extra half an hour to like test it and check it and proof it and send it and schedule schedule and send it. It's one thing. And I have the same amount of hours in the day as everyone else, but I haven't done it. So yes, today will be the newsletter day. If you're not on my newsletter, sign up. I'll put a link in the show notes. And that is it for me for this week. I hope you have a wonderful week. Happy reading, and I'll talk to you next time. For episode show notes and to learn more about me and my books, go to lpenelope.com. Subscribe to My Imaginary Friends wherever you get your podcasts and check out the video episodes on YouTube. And please leave a rating and review to help support the show.